Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? It is an honor and a joy to be back with you. Uh, actually, although I feel like that phrase does not work anymore, considering that we are now members of the church, we're kind of with you all the time. Uh, in fact, you're kind of stuck with me and Tiffany at this point. Um, but in all seriousness, it is a joy and it is an honor to be back with you um, this morning. I, I was thinking about it in Sunday school this morning. Every time I went to have an answer or say something, somebody chimed in before I got a chance to. And, and it was like the wisdom, and I was like, man, these answers are a lot better than anything I was going to come up with. So better, maybe I'm better just to sit back. And so it just got me thinking about the amount of wisdom and the amount of just faithful men and women that are in this church and how I couldn't be more grateful to be here. And so uh, I just hope that everybody was able to enjoy your Christmas. Hopefully Christmas was a time for you to enjoy friends, family, gifts, and an opportunity to celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, as Tiffany and I were reading the Christmas story Christmas morning, uh, I couldn't help but think and be burdened for the amount of people around the world who have never had access to hear it. Or have never had the opportunity for somebody to go share it with them. And I even think about our community. There's people around our community that need to hear about the birth of a Savior. And so for us, the, this story, the story of Christmas is not something that's just for the church. It's meant for the entire world. And so as I think about Blackman, and I think about as we're entering into 2019, and I think about this church, I wanted this to be a church that doesn't just take down our trees, that doesn't just take down our decorations and move on from this holiday, readying ourselves for what comes next in our, in our lives. My hope and my prayer this morning is that what we, uh, what we were le- le- uh, leading into with Christmas, that's something that's on our hearts constantly. This birth of a Christ is on our minds constantly. That in our helpless state, the Lord sent His Son, our wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace, to intervene into our mess and ransom us from eternal, our eternal helpless state. And so that walks us kind of right into the passage that we're going to look today. Um, so go ahead and turn with me to Psalm 67. And so as you're turning there, um, my prayer for today is that we are mindful not to separate the birth of Christ with what we're, the passage we're going to look at today. And in fact, my prayer would be that we don't disconnect anything in Scripture because they're all interconnected. This is one big story. It's 66 books of God's redeeming love. Uh, our failure, and then His redeeming love. And so my prayer is that today, if we do that, they should work in tandem. And so Lord willing, we'll have a, a little bit more clear picture of this um, as we finish up through this morning. So look with me in verse 1 of chapter 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make His face to shine upon us, that Your ways may be known on earth, Your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase, God. Our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let the ends of the earth fear him. And so this psalm begins with a plea for grace and a plea for mercy. And uh, it says, may God be gracious to us. So see here, forgiveness of sins is the first line, is the first link in the chain of grace that we receive and we experience. It's a foundational attribute of our salvation. Grace and mercy are both foundational attributes of salvation for us in the room. And if you think about it, 
If there was no grace, if there was no ransom or debt that was paid for our sins, then we are left helpless. We are walking in darkness. If you think about it, a couple weeks ago we looked at it. We looked at what is darkness and we kind of put a little definition on it. We said it's void of God. We said it's just a dark, hazy cloud that we can't make our way through. It's wickedness. It's helpless and hopeless. And so without this grace, that is where we are. That is where we are sitting. And so what we deserve apart from grace is eternal suffering. And so right here from the very beginning, this plea is for God not to give us what we do deserve, but instead be gracious towards us. And so that's the foundation where we have to start, that we have this glorious reality. We have access to the grace that is from the God of the universe. And that's the basis for everything. And so I love how this psalm starts with that. May God be gracious to us. And it's in that graciousness that it leads into what's next. It's the basis for blessing. Blessings are the undeserved expressions of God's love for his children. And think about that progression. It's pretty awesome that uh, God showed us grace and God showed us mercy and then offered Christ as a substitute for our sins, for us. And now he pours out his love through blessings. And, and the word blessing, it's a word that I feel like sometimes gets overplayed or it's a little bit diluted in our society. And, or at least I've seen that play out in my life. And so, for instance, a lot of people walk up to me and say, or I'll do something, they'll say, well, bless your heart. And it's as if that person's saying, you're a few fries short of a Happy Meal, or you're not the sharpest tool in the shed. Oh, or even worse, it gets worse for me. They're like, bless your little heart. I'm like, well, okay, now you're saying that I am not the sharpest tool in the shed, but then you're saying I have a little heart. Like, that's just not cool. Let's, let's help a brother out. Let's come up with a different phrase that kind of softens the blow of my stupidity. Or people will often ask you, uh, well, how are you doing? I'm blessed. Or, or, or we're blessed. Um, and there's sometimes something that just rolls off our tongue. But, and, and I'm not saying this is uh, not an appropriate response. And I'm not saying you do this. But for me, I oftentimes say that. And, and I don't really think about the meaning of it. I don't really think about what is a blessing. And so for me, this is, this is what it is. Um, it, it's, it's the reality that God has shown his grace and mercy. That, and now the, lo- the love of the Lord is being poured out on us. Ah, oh, this is good news for all of us in here. And so he doesn't just make life possible through his grace, but then he makes it enjoyable for us by offering us his blessings. And, and another way that I think about this uh, is that there's no greater love than to lay down your life for someone who has wronged you, but then follow it up with blessing them for enjoyment. This is something that just doesn't exist in our world. This is a radical love that we are seeing from God here in the beginning of Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us. And may God bless us. And so what are these blessings? In Psalm 67, what does it mean to say that we are blessed? And so I think for me, an easy place to start is our lives. Me and you in this room, our lives. Let's start there. So for instance, uh, we had no bearing on what country we were born into. And we had no bearing on what parents we were born into. This isn't like Amazon Prime where I could go and research the top countries in the world to live in and put it in my cart. Or then read the reviews of all the greatest parents that are out there on the market and add them into the cart, press click, and two days later they arrive at my doorstep. That's just not how it does. And so we are actually, we, when we think about it, we are born into a free country. We had access to study and to pursue Christianity from the very outset of our lives. Amen. That is an absolute blessing for us. 
Because there's so many around the world that are sitting there under oppressive governments right now. There's so many people that live in war-torn countries. There's so many people that are coming from countries where there's famine. Um, Think about the refugee crisis today that is tearing apart and crippling people, families, and communities. And so I I think about that, and and I think, man, we are blessed to be able to live in this country. And to take that a step further, I was abundantly blessed to be born to Tom and Julie Platt. That's just the reality of it. Unfortunately, um, my dad died 15 years ago, but I think about my dad, and I think about 1 John 3.16. For this is how we know what love is. Christ laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. He was the epitome of that verse. He showed me a sacrificial love. He led me to Jesus by the way that he loved us, by the way that he provided for me, by the way he taught me to be a man, taught me how to be a husband, and taught me how to be a brother, a son, a friend. Now, I'm not saying I do any of those things really well. You can ask Tiffany. She could probably give you plenty, plenty of case studies. But that's what the, my dad showed me. And my mom, who happens to be here this morning, um, surprised me. Um, but she, what a selfless servant she was. I was able to see Christ through my mom. I didn't have to go look uh, for examples of that. My mom loved selflessly and served selflessly in the good and in the bad. And she's been a rock and a pillar for our family. What did I do to deserve that? Absolutely nothing. I was just born. I was born into this family. And so that is where, for me, that is the low-hanging fruit of blessing for me to see. And then we also see this spiritually. Spiritually, God blesses us. If you think about it, God blesses us spiritually. We have access to the God of the universe. When we accept Christ, the Holy Spirit comes on us. So now we have the Holy Spirit who's, who's right there with us. And we have... 66 books of God's wisdom poured out on us. We have, gosh, we have access to pray to him. This is the thing about our God. Our God is living. Any other God in this world is not. We have a God that is living and pursues us. And so we have access to that through prayer, through scripture, through friends, through a church. So God has poured out his spiritual blessings. He's given each of us gifts and talents that we can use. And so God blesses us spiritually. And then if you look with me in verse 6 here. It says, the earth, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. And so this is a, a physical and a material blessing that's being poured out. This is at a time of harvest. And so even under the most oppressive of governments, really fertile lands, the greatest lands on the, on the earth, can become barren. But here, when a righteous government intervenes, the land is fertile and it yields its increase. And so we kind of see that this is a material blessing that's getting poured out on us. And so if you, yeah, it's right here. So, so it's not only that we can enjoy that, we can gain physical nourishment from this, but we can also sell it for goods and be a part of that. And so we see right here that this is, that's the basis for all of these blessings. And so it's an all-encompassing blessing. It's physical, it's spiritual, it's um, our lives. It's, uh, and, and so it's all of that. And so if that sounds familiar to us, we often hear it come from Numbers chapter 6. And so we oftentimes use this, and, and, I'm, and when I walk into this, hear me first say that this is not a bad passage at all. I love this passage, and we often hear it at graduation parties or when we bless people. And in fact, the priest used to use it to bless the people when they would come to him. But he says this in Numbers six twenty four: May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. 
We hear this often, again, like I said, at graduation parties. But the thing about this passage is the emphasis here in Numbers is pretty much for the well-being of Israel. It's pretty much a centered exclusively on Israel. And, and, and sadly to say, that's what our, our society and our world would tell us. The blessings that God has given us, hoard them for yourselves. Use them for yourselves. In fact, we sit there and see a lot of our churches in America today say, live your best life now. That you're here on earth. Enjoy the blessings of God. And don't worry about anything else. And so we read magazines that applaud retirees for spending their money on boats and, and beach houses. Or we, we hear about these stories of these people that go off in retirement and pursue all their dreams and, and their bucket lists. And, and we applaud them for that. In fact, we've even given a name to it. It's called the American Dream. And so I think about when I was living in the Middle East, people would ask, well, why do you want to live in this country? I say, well, where would you want to live? Well, they say America, because that's where you can have prosperity. That's where you can have wealth. That's where you can have everything that you want. And I say, and, and so this thing has been played out among, among the people all around the world. That's the way they look at us, that we're having this American dream over here. But here in Psalms, look at, look at it with me. Here in Psalms, there's a different emphasis. And I think this is totally sweet. It says, may God be gracious to and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your ways may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Oh, these blessings, these delights that the Lord pours out on us, they're the open window for us to share the gospel with the nations. They're the open window for us to share the gospel with the nations. Uh, and, and going back to the Middle East, a lot of people would often ask me, well, what's, what's, the, what's the answer to the war? What's the answer to the violence and the hate? Or if you visit a country where people are starving, what's, what's the answer to the hunger? Or back to the refugee crisis, what is the answer for those families, for those people that are homeless? And I say salvation is the answer. Salvation is the answer. Salvation is what's going to change the heart and heart to love you. Salvation is what's going to change the, the fill the cup to overflowing for the thirsty. And salvation is what's going to give a home and a family to the refugee. That's the answer. The problem is there's over 3 billion people in our world today that have no idea about their need for salvation. And so we know of Christ's unending grace and blessings that fill our heart. And so we go to the lost. And, and by the very word we use, they are lost. They are in need of the intervention that we've had from Christ. And so we are the walking testimonies of God's love. And by observing the blessings that God has given us, the nation should be able to see God's sovereignty in our lives and God's goodness and graciousness in our lives. And so the problem is we often hoard these blessings. We often take these blessings and hoard them for ourselves. Your material gain in this room is not so that you can have everything you want and have a comfy life and coast on into heaven. Your material gain is to show the generosity of the Lord to the nations so that they can experience the wealth that is God's love. That's why God blesses us. And so we see this in Scripture. Um, I won't ask you to turn here with me, but think about Joseph. We've been studying a little bit of Joseph, haven't we? And so think about Joseph. His brother sold him into slavery, which is actually better than the plot to kill him. So I guess in a way he's a little bit blessed. But uh, Genesis 37 is just crazy. Joseph's brothers see him walking from a distance, and they begin to plot to, uh, to kill him. Reuben tries to be Mr. Nice Guy, steps on the scene and says, Well, 
why don't we just throw him in a cistern and hopefully, you know, later on I can go back and return him to our father. So the brothers put him in a cistern uh, with no water and in the middle of the desert. And then they sit down to eat. Um, and as they're eating, they see this caravan coming along. And they were like, uh, and Judah chimes in. Good old Judah, he steps up and says, uh, he said, chimes in and says, what gain would we had from killing him and covering up his death? Just sell him into slavery. We shouldn't hurt him. He's, after all, our flesh and blood. blood and the brothers agree. Now, I don't know about you. I've got two older brothers. And um, I, don't, I don't think I want Joseph's brothers here. Like, they, my brothers may not like me. I don't know. You can ask them. But they definitely have not either plotted to kill me or sold, sell me into slavery. So whatever family problems you guys got going on in this room, like, we can, we can probably work through them compared to what's going on here. This is going to take some serious intervention. Um, and if you think about it, like if, if this story was being played out today, it would probably be the best rated uh, reality show going. Like no doubt about it. This is some serious stuff. But in the midst of all this, God is orchestrating a pretty grand picture. You see Pharaoh ends up elevating Joseph to second in command over all of Egypt. And in the midst of that, he's able to save Egypt from a famine and at the same time take care of his brothers in the midst of it. Or what about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? King Nebuchadnezzar makes a decree, then the sound of a horn, a harp, a lyre, and whatever other musical instrument, if you missed all those, you should bow down at the golden altar that he's built for himself. And so um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three dudes say, no, no chance, we serve a greater God. So King Nebuchadnezzar brings these guys in and asks if they're ready to bow down, but they quickly are like, nope, not going to do it. Our God whom we serve will save us out of your hand. So King Nebuchadnezzar orders them to be thrown in right away. In fact, since this was a rush order, the flame is so high and so hot that it ends up killing the men walking Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up to the furnace. Nonetheless, bound with their hands behind their back, they fall into the furnace. And then King Nebuchadnezzar looks around and starts to have a little puzzled look and asks, Hey, uh, how many guys did y'all throw in there? And you bound them up, right? Because I see four men in there and none of them are bound up. So he calls them out. And uh, they aren't even sweating. And so uh, I sweat just walking to the kitchen. So I don't know what that says about me. Um, and so right then and there, he declares that everybody should praise the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But what about Boaz? Remember Naomi in chapter 1? Ruth says, just call me Mara, because the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. And Ruth, well, she's in a land not of her own. And her husband has died. And the likelihood of her finding another husband is pretty bleak in this scenario. But Boaz, man, what a stud. Boaz comes in, and he is the kinsman redeemer for Ruth and Naomi. Or even think about Ruth in the same story. Think about Ruth. She faithfully stayed beside Naomi throughout it all. She was there with her. When she had the chance to go back to her own land, she said, no, I'm staying here with you, Naomi. Oh, and she's just good. So you see God blessing his people so that the nations would be drawn to him. This picture probably is most clear in Ezekiel 36, where God is recounting what he has done and is doing among the people. And he tells the people, it's not for your name's sake, but for my name's sake. So he's done and is doing things for us, not so that you and I can gain fame, fame and notoriety. He's doing it so his name can be known and praised. And he gets the notoriety for it all. And so this is just a small snapshot 
Um, if we were to sit here uh, all day, um, I think we're coming back at 2.30 to finish up some stuff. Um, so maybe we can add this into the pot, but we could recount story after story where God has blessed his people so that the nations can come to him. The nations can know him. And we haven't even began to look at the New Testament. What about Matthew 28, the Great Commission? Go and make disciples of some nations? No, all nations. But what about Acts 1.8? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the what? Ends of the earth. Or what about Matthew 24.14? It's pretty clear. The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. I got a very small snapshot of this picture one time. So I had the the opportunity and pleasure to go to uh, Ecuador several years ago. And leading up to me going, I thought it would be wise for me to read Jim Elliott's biography. Um, That way when I stepped off the plane in Quito, Ecuador, I could almost feel history come alive. I could go walking where missionaries walked. Uh, And I just thought, man, this this would be a huge opportunity for me. And so for those that don't know Jim Elliott, Jim Elliott and his wife Elizabeth along with several others, were um, missionaries to the jungles of Ecuador. And they, um, were, they were trying to reach out to this people called the Aka Indians, um, and so they, or Quichua. It's shortened down to Aka, and it basically means savage. And so these people were savages. And in fact, they'd had encounters with other outsiders, and up to that point, all outsiders had been killed. Um, and so Jim Elliott and Nate Saint... And these other missionaries, they felt that God was calling them to pursue these Indians, to pursue these savages. And so they began to learn language, to study. They began to make a plan. And so their plan was to fly a plane in to this river. And on one side, it was the Aka Indians, and the other side would be them. And they would take gifts, and they would try to make contact and, and give them things to show them that they were not hostile, but loving, and, and hope for the best out of that. So they actually make contact, and it's going pretty well. But the story kind of takes a turn in the next couple of days. And eventually, all five of these missionaries are speared to death. And so, on the surface, we say this is the most tragic of stories. What a waste of five men who were pursuing the Lord. But the story doesn't end there. Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, and along with a few other ladies, end up making contact with the Aki Indians. And eventually move there and live among them. And several of these Indians, several of these savages come to faith in Christ. Oh, this is just really good stuff. And so I'm in, I'm in Ecuador and I hear that there's some of these Aka Indians that are coming out of the jungle. They're crossing rivers and they're doing all this to get to hear me and my friend teach. And I was just humbled. Humbled beyond belief that faithful men like Jim Elliott and Nate Saint went before me, laid a foundation by giving themselves to the nations so that I could sit here and teach the Word of God to former savages. You know, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing for me. And so I, I just think that, uh, man, you, yeah, it's just amazing. And so this passage of Scripture that we're looking at today, Psalm 67, just comes alive with stories like this. God was gracious and blessed faithful men, and the result was a savage group of Indians coming to faith. And I feel like this is almost like a battle cry for the church. You know, it's a battle cry because we see, and I love when Scripture repeats itself a couple of times. And it says here in verse 3, three Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The next verse, verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. And then we repeat that same blessing, or the same words, 
In verse 3, here in verse 5, it says, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And so this word, this graciousness, this blessing is a lifestyle that is meant to be poured out for the sake of others. I love this quote from Jim Elliott here. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Jim Elliott got it. He was willing to share. He's willing to give up what he was given because ultimately he got salvation. Ultimately, he got Christ. So when that spear pierced him and when that spear killed him, it was not the end. It was only the beginning for Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and all those other men. And so today, what is our response to this? What is our response to God being gracious to us? What is our response to him blessing us? First, I think it's all, it starts at the very beginning. See that God offers salvation, that Christ is our ransom and God has been gracious to us. For those that are in this room that have not experienced the love of Jesus, see it play out in this passage that God is pursuing you and God is using people all around you to draw him to you. Then see that God has blessed us. We talked about this. He's blessing us spiritually, physically, and materially. Oh, but don't miss why he's given us those blessings. Not only is he given those blessings because he loves us and wants us to be enjoyed and enjoy this life, but he wants the nations to know his saving power. He desires that all nations would praise Him. That all peoples would praise Him. And so how does He accomplish this? Well, that's by us going. That's by us uh, using these blessings we've received for the nations. So we go sharing of Christ's birth, His life, His death, and His resurrection. And how He came in human flesh. How He lived a life that we couldn't, a perfect life. And how he offered himself as a sacrifice and rose three days later, defeating sin and death once and for all. That is what we take with us. And so, as I think about it for myself, entering 2019, wouldn't this be a radical way for us to have a New Year's resolution that we can actually keep? And actually have people join us and be faithful to doing this together. So, let's make that a New Year's resolution. Think about it as an individual. How are you going to use the blessings, the gifts, and the talents the Lord's given you to bless the nations? And, and by the nations, I mean here in the Blackman community, here in Murfreesboro, and also around the world. Um, and uh, as a church, how can we gather together as a body of believers together and pray this prayer right here? May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us so that His ways are known among all nations. And so is that what we are doing together. Can we pray together and see where the Lord's going to take us as a church in 2019 to bless the nations, to bless our community? Because I believe firmly that as we sit in this room, there's a great missionary force. We've been given God's salvation. We've been given His blessing. And we have a beautiful array of blessings in this room so that the nations can know God's great love. So let's bring this new year with anticipation for what the Lord will do here in the Blackman community and around the world through us. And ultimately, our desire in that should be Revelation 7-9. Where a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, tribe, people, and language are standing around the throne singing praises to God. May that be our heart's cry that every nation will be before Him singing praises. And we will join, uniting with brothers and sisters from all around the world to sing praises to Him.